Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by myself, Grace Hill, and Diana Bang. From fashion, beauty, and homeware, Grace and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So, Diana, how are you? What have you been up to? I'm good. I think I've just gone into like, you know, getting tired of the online shopping. So I went into my first store on Sunday, which was quite an experience with my mask. And I thought there would be like a massive queue because I can just walk to the stores from my flat. But there was no queue. I could just go. Well, I actually had to go around to get in because there was another entrance. But it was actually, I wouldn't say it was very much different to before lockdown it didn't feel for me that it was different obviously markers and two meters distance in the queues but it's become so natural for me that I feel like that's just the new norm and I'm used to it so lots of shopping lots of shopping well on the Isle of Wight there's not many exciting stores to visit so I'm going to wait for that to wait for my first in-store experience until I'm back in London but I've been doing plenty of online shopping with the sales launching so I feel like the um, UPS or DHL delivery drivers has kind of a uh, well-oiled route to our house as there's new arrivals every day. So yeah, definitely be making the most of the sales. But I guess, what are we talking about today? Yeah, Grace, as the impact on luxury has been at the forefront of industry news in the past three months, we want to find out what's next for luxury retail. On today's podcast, we have Zoe Gauntlet, Account Director at Thread Styling. Hey Zoe, welcome to the podcast. How Thanks are, for having me. Of course. So how are things down in Devon? I know that's where you are right now. Yeah, good. I mean, I feel like we're just kind of getting through each day. Like work has been crazy busy. So I'm quite lucky to kind of still have loads going on, loads to focus on. But no, all good. Thank you. Amazing. And, and what are you looking forward to most now that things are kind of loosening up? Yeah, you know, I feel like there's like parts of lockdown that I actually like love and kind of want to keep. I feel like a lot of people are saying that, like just the pressure of not having to do stuff in the same way. But I am actually looking forward to like going back to the office a couple of days a week, just because I don't know if you guys find, but like when you're working on creative projects, it's really hard to brainstorm on Zoom. Like you can't kind of bounce off each other's like creative energy in the same way. And we've reopened our studios. So like doing some shoots and stuff, I think will be fun again. And obviously like socializing, seeing friends more. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Same. I'm definitely looking forward to being back in the office and and seeing Diana every day. (laughs) So to start off, we'd love to kind of hear more about how you got into the fashion industry and about your previous roles before you were at Threads. Sure. So I actually have always worked in fashion media. So after university, I actually joined Condé Nast on their advertising graduate scheme, which was an amazing experience. I worked across, obviously, you know, the big heritage titles, predominantly Vogue, which was a great experience. And then from there, I was kind of more interested in kind of digital and I guess more kind of modern media I moved to Sherlock which is a kind of online women's lifestyle magazine kind of always working in content and advertising and kind of working with partners on campaigns and then from that I moved to Hypebeast and I was at Hypebeast for just over two years working across their fashion partners and I think I was there at the time when I guess streetwear culture was really kind of taking off and becoming super mainstream so 
when I first started, it was like a lot of partners were kind of still unsure, you know, all the luxury brands, we were sort of saying you should be working with us. And they were, I guess, apprehensive. And then by the time I actually left, we were kind of working with all of the big partners across fashion. So that was an amazing experience. And then I joined Threads back in September last year. Some very cool companies that you've worked at. Yes. Yeah. We'd love to hear more about your, your current role and tell us more about thread styling as a service and a business. On your website, it states that you do luxury social commerce. So what is luxury social commerce as well? Good to know. Sure. Yeah. So I am, as Grace mentioned, an account director at Threads. So I actually manage all of our content partnerships. So we have over 400 retail partners and I work with them on how we can sort of support with campaigns across our social channels, direct to consumer campaigns, and also uh, work really closely with sales team on sales strategy for those brands as well. Threads as a business is quite a unique business model. So we're sort of somewhere between a retailer, a media platform, and an influencer. We don't hold any inventory, so we're different to the kind of traditional retail model. And instead, we work with partners to fulfill orders when a client buys from us. So we're a personal styling, personal shopping service. We service ultra high net worth clients who are based all around the world. And we do so through social commerce, as you mentioned. So we've kind of taken that kind of luxury personal shopping experience and brought it online and made it relevant for the younger Gen Z and millennial consumer. All of our correspondence happens over social commerce. Our Instagram and our social channels are sort of our shop window. And then from that content, it leads the audience through to a WhatsApp or iMessage conversation with a personal shopper. And then that's where the kind of full transaction takes place. So back and forth conversation about product. If a client wants to make an order, we send an invoice in app, so an Apple invoice. So you literally don't even have to leave your favorite social media app kind of engage with the product. That's my elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did a great job. So we know that obviously, as you mentioned, Threads doesn't do typical e-commerce. Instead, you state that it's reinventing it, which is really interesting during such an e-com heavy time. So what does this kind of involve? How does Threads really differ from a traditional sales channel? And how do you work with luxury brands to drive sales kind of during this current climate? Yes, I guess the feedback we've had from clients is they definitely want, you know, the best in luxury and fashion, but they are, you know, they're kind of busy young women. They're a lot of the time kind of first generation entrepreneurs or, you know, they're out socializing with their friends. They don't want to be sat trawling through a website and kind of hundreds of products. So I think, you know, we're working with partners to take all of that product and I guess tailor it to the client and bring it to them in a more digestible way. So we almost do all of that legwork for our clients. We still work through e-commerce with a lot of our partners, especially during the the past few months, we've pivoted pretty much 90% of our partnerships to an e-com model. So when a client buys from us, we purchase via our brand partners' e-commerce channels so we can access our partners' kind of global inventory and I guess fulfill the order directly through them as opposed to through a third party. But I guess it kind of saves all of the legwork for the client. And also because we're not kind of constrained by 
a seasonal buy, we don't have X amount of a certain colorway of a jumper that we need to sell through. Mm-hmm. We can offer a very kind of unbiased perspective and essentially sell the client anything. So we have no preference whether they buy from Fendi or Gucci. We can just kind of talk about both products and, and recommend what we think would work for them and, you know, their shape and their, you know, what events they have coming up. So I think it's kind of taking that e-commerce model one step further. It's really interesting to hear about this audience and like not having time to shop. I find even during COVID, I'm exhausted after shopping online. It's a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) But we know the store experience has been really important for luxury consumers. How is social commerce able to maintain that experience that's highly personalized and interactive by leveraging tech? What's the sweet spot between the tech and the human element? Yeah, definitely. So I think that's a key part of our business. So as we kind of look to scale, we have invested heavily in developing our technology as a business. But I think what's very kind of core to what we do is that we retain that human relationship and that human contact. So for us, the technology has been about building kind of tools that make it as easy as possible for our shoppers to service as many clients as they can. But as a client, you're always going to be speaking to a real person. So we're not kind of looking at chatbots. And it is very much a personal relationship that our clients have with their shoppers. So, you know, you always see shoppers FaceTiming their clients. In normal circumstances, they get flown out to their homes around the world to do wardrobe makeovers. Yeah, so I think it is taking that kind of personal relationship and and moving it into an online setting. I think one of the major feedbacks we've had from clients is that they've done the buy appointment on Bond Street with their parents and they just felt that that experience was not servicing them as a younger generation. So taking that experience and moving it to online. And surely also more scalable too, right? The fact that they're able to, you know, these personal shoppers are able to speak to more clients and service more people. And interesting that you said they obviously have to build that personal relationship with someone to be able to kind of curate and recommend products for a client based on their tastes and and preferences that they've come to kind of learn. So I guess I'm really curious, who is Threads clientele? and, And why do you think that chat commerce really resonates with that luxury consumer in particular? So Threads Client is, um, as I mentioned, the ultra high net worth, so the kind of top 1%. They are Gen Z, millennial, so it's that younger, really hard to reach luxury consumer. The average age of our clients are 28. And they are, I know, (laughs) so depressing. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) I know, where am I going wrong? But they are, they're based kind of all around the world. We have a very strong Middle Eastern client base. Also, APAC is kind of a huge market and growing really quickly for us. And then we've just opened an office in New York back in December to kind of service our US-based clients. And then obviously kind of Europe and the UK as well. I guess the main thing to know about those clients is whilst they might be kind of home residents in you know, the Middle East, for example, they travel in a normal year up to kind of 30 times a year. So we're often, you know, delivering to a London address or, you know, the south of France or Mykonos in the summer, ski resorts in the winter. They're kind of very much kind of living that luxury lifestyle in all aspects. As I mentioned, you know, 86% are female. So it's a very female focused 
platform um, as I'm sure you can see from our content and a lot of them are, are actually working women so as I mentioned first first generation entrepreneurs and business women who are kind of cash rich and time poor so I guess we're sort of filling that void for them oh my god how can this be me yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> how can I be enough 100% <laughs> well it's like so interesting because I know luxury brands have typically struggled with that fickle kind of gen z millennial demographic and the fact that you guys at threads have really kind of been able to tap into that and and service that client base so well yeah and we can't ignore that you mentioned all these regions across the world but covid has impacted everywhere and it'd be great to understand because covid has obviously thrown retail into flux a research company mentioned that each month of lockdown is causing a five to six percent dent in gdp so from your experience what is important to luxury brands right now and how are they adapting to the current circumstances yeah i think at the beginning of everything back in kind of march when you know, a lot of the stores started shutting all across Europe. I think luxury initially probably had the hardest time in figuring out how best to communicate. I think luxury brands don't have that community that maybe some of the more contemporary fashion brands have and can access. They're more sort of aspirational. So I think there was definitely the challenge of how do we kind of communicate with our consumer in this time. I think what we've definitely seen at Threads is that brands have kind of come to us asking for that kind of communication. So I mean, one thing that that we did, and obviously we work with so many luxury partners on a commercial and editorial basis, it was looking at how we can create content that is relevant to the audience now. So you know, like everyone, we were all stuck at home. We weren't able to shoot in studios and, you know, produce our usual very kind of curated content. But instead, we were kind of finding really creative ways to make that work. So we were shooting on our stylists at home, you know, lots of kind of selfie content, mirror content. And actually, it resonated really well with our consumer because everybody was in the same situation. So I think actually working with our luxury partners to, I guess, present it in that way. I think it's something that is difficult for brands to do themselves because they have quite strict guidelines on, you know, their aesthetic and and how they present themselves. But I think one thing that's really come through all of this is that luxury has obviously historically been very slow to adapt to the digital world. And I think the pandemic has definitely highlighted the importance even more. So a lot of brands have been reporting, as I'm sure you guys know, an uplift in e-commerce sales. You know, people still want to shop despite everything that's been going on. So yeah, I think those are the main things that I would draw from it. Definitely. And I think obviously you mentioned like luxury brands have historically been very late to the game in in regards to adopting e-commerce and the fact that COVID has been felt hard by luxury. I know McKinsey and co estimated that global revenue for luxury goods will decrease 35 to 39% in 2020. So how are you seeing luxury brands kind of currently evolving in terms of diversifying their sales channel to combat this? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I guess similarly to what I've already mentioned, luxury has definitely been kind of increasing its social presence over the past few years. And I think now it's just kind of skyrocketing even faster. I think, you know, we've seen brands definitely working with influencers more Mm -hmm. to kind of benefit from the communities that these influencers can offer them. And then I think, 
a big thing is the swipe up function on Instagram for us. It's a it's a kind of our main traffic driver in terms of sales generation. So, you know, luxury brands can create amazing content and then that swipe through to e-commerce. Obviously, that's a massive kind of sales driver for brands, as well as publishers and influencers with kind of the affiliate models as well. For us at Threads, that swipe up function actually takes the consumer directly through to a WhatsApp conversation with a personal shopper, which means that we can kind of own that full consumer journey. So, you know, I, I definitely think we've seen a lot of partners who maybe have been nervous about our tech in the past or more apprehensive to adopt it, kind of coming to us at this time and seeing, you know, how we can help them drive sales. So yeah, I think and I think it's that that focus on ROI, so sales channels that they know will actually drive sales. I was going to say, I'm not a Gen Z person, but when you say swipe up, that's like on an Instagram story when you... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to... Yeah, sure. yeah, to clarify, the, the Instagram story swipe up. Yeah. yeah. And do you have that with other, because I know you guys are very kind of social media like present, like are there other functionalities on other platforms where you're able to kind of also own that journey or does it tend to remain on Instagram? So I think Instagram definitely is doing it the best at the moment of all those social channels. Snapchat's actually a huge channel for us with our younger demographic and also with our Middle Eastern clients because it's a very private platform. So that does really well, particularly for high value. They do have, there is some functionality on Snapchat that helps that journey, but it's not as good as the swipe up function. So I think Instagram kind of own the game with that at the moment. I mean, obviously we also have the APAC channels. So channels like WeChat in China do that really well as well. Yeah. I was going to mention about China. That's interesting. But, um, and we've talked a lot about TikTok and things like that, but what should brands consider when approaching those partnerships and content creation? Is there anything specific they should be wary of or consider? Um, yeah. So I guess, as I mentioned, when the lockdown started, we had to kind of very quickly adjust our content. So that kind of, you know, pivoting our content really quickly and being able to shoot at home on content creators. I think content aimed at the younger consumer naturally has kind of drawn more brands to adopt that social first content. I think in terms of what brands should consider specifically, this word gets thrown around all the time and I guess it's sort of lost its meaning, but that authenticity and integrity, you know, not just kind of jumping on a bandwagon, you know, brands need to definitely adapt and adopt new technologies but I think just making sure that it's still sort of staying true to their brand ethos and and kind of what they represent from a content perspective I think also just looking at kind of the channels that they they work with now more than ever the focus is on return on investment from content and partnerships so looking at channels that can offer both I mean social is amazing at that and there are kind of other platforms as well but you know with kind of budgets being cut this year and you know challenges for brands to I guess leverage like events and and other channels that they would maybe normally use I think getting really creative with things and making sure it's kind of true to their brand guidelines I think it's interesting isn't it like you mentioned also being like that element of relatability and and listening to the customer and really understanding what everyone's kind of going through and the fact that everybody's at home, everyone's locked down. And actually that's a way that a customer really likes to engage the fact that the brand 
is kind of on that same platform or, or playing field? That's definitely what we've found. I think it does depend who your consumer is. Like if you're looking for that younger consumer, definitely, you know, you might find that a slightly older consumer is looking for that escapism with the more kind of curated, yeah. highly produced content. So I think it just depends what kind of consumer you're after. Definitely. And I think that like leads me on nicely to my next question, because I know you guys obviously work with more contemporary brands and then you also have your heritage luxury brands. So kind of what differences are you seeing in the content that's created by each of the segments within luxury and kind of what is important to them? So I think contemporary brands have potentially fared better in terms of content. And that can be honestly as simple as the fact that they are generally smaller businesses and therefore kind of more able to adapt to instant changes that have been required. I think the luxury heritage brands obviously often have like lengthy internal sign-off processes, which has made it a lot harder for them to make changes as quickly. I think several kind of heritage brands have chosen to focus on how they're actually tackling COVID head-on. So Burberry is quite a good example. I know they've obviously been using their resources to produce like non-surgical gowns and masks for patients. And I think from that perspective, they've almost, I guess, used their position for a more kind of global cause and, and also directly tackling the issue at hand. I think contemporary brands also generally a slightly lower price point. So I would say to them, it's more accessible for a wider audience. That answer your question. <laughs> yeah. People talk a lot about, I guess, post-COVID and what's going to happen after all this settles down. From your experience, how will this change the way luxury brands communicate in the future? I mean, I think, as I mentioned, just that focus now more than ever on the importance of digital. We have some luxury partners who don't even have e-commerce, which just seems crazy in 2020. And obviously, when the stores closed, they had no revenue streams. So I think it's made a lot of people kind of sit up and, and realize how important it is. So I think it's just you know, driving that digital revolution in fashion even further and even faster. And I think, you know, more of a focus on social, obviously brands, because they're physically unable to host events and do those more kind of traditional forms of promotion, having to just get more creative. And I think maybe in the longer term, people will see that there are other options, other things to do around that you know things like fashion weeks being cancelled all of the kind of jewelry fairs this year like business doesn't stop so it's how they can adapt on a kind of longer term basis to these issues definitely I feel like there's going to be huge change and it's going to be everlasting not just in luxury but across retail in general but I think it's wild and fascinating that there are some luxury brands that still to this day before COVID didn't have kind of an e-commerce platform or or one online. So we've spoken quite a lot about the content that kind of resonates with with luxury consumer. And you've also mentioned a bit about building community and in terms of how maybe luxury where they have been a little bit more aspirational, that it's been harder to cultivate that feeling amongst their consumer. So what is the importance, I guess, of community to a younger luxury consumer? And do you have any best practice or best in class examples that you could share with our listeners? I mean, I would argue that community is almost everything now for that younger Gen Z millennial consumer. 
there are a lot of brands that do it really, really well. I think Glossier is a prime example, not necessarily luxury, but that they're definitely all about community and working kind of with their audience. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think Threads also really have cultivated an amazing community over the past several years. I think that is partly built on the fact that we are a consumer first business. So we're, because as I mentioned, you know, in regards to our business model and the fact that we don't hold inventory, we are able to kind of talk to to our clients and our audience about what trends they're liking, what they're seeing, and, and we can actually adapt our business to fit their needs. We rely so heavily on our community in that way about what kind of content they want to see. When everything happens with coronavirus, we actually posted several stories actually asking for feedback on, you know, these are crazy times. What content do you want to see from us? Do you want to see our usual fashion content? Are you more interested in lifestyle? And actually listening to feedback and then tailoring our whole business on that. I think, you know, for luxury brands, it is a lot harder to do because they don't have that kind of relationship with that younger consumer but they're definitely it's definitely improving and they are kind of building it slowly over time you've been seeing the communities being part of the content you have like cult brands like rixo and faithful that are using their communities as part of hashtags and styling their products but um we've spoken a lot previously on travel you mentioned how big part that was of the luxury consumer and we've seen in from industry sources that you know the chinese consumers represent 35 percent of all luxury consumption in 2019 of which about 70 percent was made while traveling which is insane so we know that global travel restrictions are a huge risk to luxury brands so how can brands from your experience respond accordingly to make sure that they aren't impacted heavily by this Yeah, so this is definitely something that we've been speaking to all of our brand partners about. As you said, so many luxury brands rely on that international shopper and tourists, particularly in the big fashion capitals like London and Paris. So we're working really closely with our partners on a strategy to kind of help to continue bringing that client to them without them obviously physically having to travel anywhere. So as I mentioned, we have an amazing APAC team. They actually sit in our London office, but they service the whole APAC community. And around 60% of our clients are Middle Eastern. So I think it's been kind of very natural for us in this position. We're working with new partners to actually help them with this issue. We also work with a lot of the flagship stores in London, who, as I mentioned, obviously really rely on that international traveller. So we're accessing inventory through their boutiques and kind of shipping it on to our end client who could be in China or Dubai or, you know, I guess these kind of key regions who aren't currently able to travel. So you're almost like bringing the consumer to them, uh, to those brands, even if they're not traveling, but via content. But you guys are also helping with the logistics and getting that product to them and kind of, I guess, using that inventory that may be stuck in stores and leveraging your platform to do that. Yeah, I mean, via content, but also via like our direct to consumer relationships. Yeah. you know, to get our personal shoppers talking to clients about Mm -hmm. these brands. You know, we create a lot of like gorgeous send outs that we send to, you know, tailored, but we don't sort of send it out en masse. But if it's a particular jewellery brand, we can see from our data what clients are engaging the most with high value jewellery at the moment. So 
sort of sending out information to them about availability. I think Key has been working with partners on product that's actually available to ship at the moment. So, yeah, and also the logistics side, so everything comes to our London office and then we send that to the client. Wow, amazing. Are you seeing any particular categories that are really performing well during this crisis? I mean, I know it goes without saying across kind of mass, you know, premium across the board in retail. We've seen obviously categories like loungewear, nightwear, lingerie have all performed really well. But what are you guys seeing? Yes. So we have seen a massive increase in contemporary sales over this entire period. I actually spoke to our amazing head of contemporary about this and she shared some figures with me. So we're actually up 80% versus last year. Athleisure has been our strongest category. So we've sold, you know, thousands of units worth of kind of cozy, comfortable, but like cool fashion hoodies, sweatpants, t-shirts. We've also seen a massive increase in gym wear. So across the kind of key powerhouse brands, but also a lot of kind of new independent brands such as Live the Process and Ernest Leoti. A lot of clients have been wanting to try new things. I think that was the kind of key focus in March and April. And then when the weather improved in May, our clients definitely started buying more into dresses and basics to keep their mood elevated but they still wanted to be really comfortable because everyone's obviously at home so the focus over the next couple of months I think is a lot about kind of modern basics so kind of matching sets and shorts lots of linen and then also what's really interesting is fine jewelry and watches have had an incredible couple of months really since March Um, we found that clients have been buying some really special pieces for themselves or as gifts And I think a lot of that is to do with the kind of timeless investment pieces and their longer term value. I guess brands have spent less on ready to wear designer because potentially by the time we come out of lockdown, you know, we'll be on to the next season. Yeah. Um, Instead, they've been investing in, yeah, those kind of that kind of fine jewelry and, and watches which will last them forever. Or more proposals with couples that are doing well through lockdown. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That people aren't, you know, they're still wanting to invest in those kind of high value and like fine jewelry and, and watches. And kind of, do you see that those categories continuing with success post lockdown? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so across the whole contemporary business unit, we've actually been kind of actively onboarding new brands while the whole restrictions continue to kind of keep our clients engaged and inspired with new partners I think contemporary is going to remain a huge focus for our business this year so we would definitely expect to see kind of further growth in the category at Threads and then outside of Threads I think people definitely been investing more in community-led contemporary brands as I already mentioned and I think that's just going to continue to grow especially following the success of brands like Glossier as a kind of good model for other brands. It'd be great for our listeners to know which contemporary brands you've been seeing that are successful during this time. Yeah, so I think it's definitely the kind of luxury loungewear brands. So brands like Pangaea, 90%, Cotton Citizen have been doing really well. Yeah, I think that's the, the kind of the main ones that come to mind. Definitely. I mean, Pangaea, I'm obsessed with their coloured tracksuits. I know, Zoe, you, you got one, didn't you, for yourself? To I did. I bought into the hype. <laughs> yeah. 
I just couldn't decide which color I liked the most. So I, I chickened out. So we've seen recently that Gucci announced that they're going seasonless by cutting their usual five fashion shows in a year down to just two. So if other brands were going to follow suit, how do you see this affecting kind of luxury consumer behavior? Yeah, I think in general, like people are, like there is much less kind of seasonality with so many brands now, especially with like sustainability being such a focus for consumers when they're kind of looking at what brands to buy into. They want things that are going, they're going to, you know, wear forever. I think that it's definitely going to have a lasting impact. I would say in terms of the the kind of fashion weeks and the fashion shows, I think there's still going to be that kind of consumer appetite for newness. We definitely find that with our clients. They are looking for those investment pieces. They always want the kind of newest, like latest, hottest brand or, you know, the newest collection. So I I think it's kind of meeting somewhere in, in the middle. I think that there definitely has been too much of a kind of churn with these fashion brands and, and the amount of collections that they're producing every year. But I don't think that it's going to be a one and done kind of thing situation. And I guess to round up, because this is like the million dollar question, how do you see the luxury market evolving? Will COVID-19 drive much needed change or will things return to its normal state? That is the million dollar question. I think that there will be some lasting changes as, as we spoke about, you know, the importance of digital and the importance of having additional ways of reaching your consumer. I think that's going to be front of mind for all partners and, you know, not to be, I guess, negative, but I think that whilst we're kind of coming out of coronavirus now, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know if it could there could be a second wave of store closures. I think it's all kind of up in the air at the moment. So I think people are really realising that they need to make some kind of lasting adjustments. And then I would say that the other thing that, that springs to mind is with regards to content, moving away from the kind of heavily produced, glossy content as a kind of go-to across the industry and looking at more different ways to interact with the consumer and be kind of relevant for people's everyday lives. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think just embracing technology and embracing kind of innovation and and e-commerce is is definitely going to be extremely key, especially for this segment that has kind of lagged behind the curve. So Zoe, if there's one thing that you'd want our listeners to take away from this episode, what would it be? I think the the main thing that, you know, I've obviously mentioned so much is for brands, just that importance of who your community is and how you interact with them. I think it's very easy for me to talk about it from a threads perspective. We obviously have a, a younger consumer who I guess community is everything, but I think it's very much for brands to consider who they're targeting, who they're wanting to target and how they can kind of adapt their community in that way. So, you know, if you're looking to target an over 60 maybe social is not the best way to do it. I think it's kind of looking at the focus for your business and staying kind of authentic to your brand, but also I think constantly innovating in the same sense. So keeping an eye open as to what other brands are doing and and what's going on and, and how that could potentially work for you. I think for luxury specifically, like we're definitely moving away from that old school, slightly sort of stuffy attitude and brands are 
you know, excitingly embracing a lot more changes and doing things that maybe even a year ago they wouldn't have considered. So I guess that's the main sort of takeaways. Yeah, it's been so insightful, especially you coming from with your experience between tech and luxury. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your thoughts, Zoe. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you. As a listener of ours, we're here to support you during this challenging time in retail. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, please ensure you're subscribed to the Insider Briefing. You can sign up at edited.com. This is where we'll be keeping you all up to date on the latest news and strategies. Thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Zoe, please make sure to subscribe to keep in the loop with future episodes. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, then please tell your friends or family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye. Bye.